Good morning. How is everybody doing? Amazing. That song got me a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, we made it to the new year, so we survived, right? Uh, wanted to, before I begin, I just wanted to let you guys know, um, we do have, as far as things going on here at the church and new things happening, he's going to give the announcement at the end, but I do want to let you guys know there is a class that's starting next week. Uh, it's called Grace Applied. Kind of just want to put the extra little plug out there uh, to, for you guys to know. It's going to be on January 9th, see if I can do this right, at 9 a.m., and there's going to be nine different speakers. Okay, did I, I think I did that right. January 9th at 9 a.m., there's going to be nine different speakers, and they're all going to be talking about what grace looks like uh, applied into our life and how that uh, does with different situations, mostly because up here we talk a lot of doctrine and we give you guys a lot of uh, kind of inspirational type talks, but these talks are going to be more practical. So if you're interested in that, we'd love for you guys to come out. We want kind of a big show uh, for this next, it'll be this next Sunday at 9 a.m. I think it's going to be back here in the static room. So if you can come, we'd love to have you. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Amen? Um, so anybody done any New Year's resolutions? Anybody in here yet? Like I know that that's not the Christian thing to do. I know we don't do that. Has anybody done New Year's resolutions yet? Uh, I have. I've done a couple. Uh, maybe I can inspire you to do New Year's resolutions. But uh, one of mine that I'm going to try and stop uh, pranking people so much. <laughs> right? I know some of you have experienced the pain of my pranking. Some of you have not. That's because I'm, I'm holding for the right time. Um, but I'm trying to overcome that. It's something I really want to overcome. Um, I'm not really. I, I want to get better at it, actually. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, and I'll tell you a couple of the reasons why. One of the reasons why that I'm not, I'm trying to get over it is probably when I was roughly 20, I worked at Walmart, and uh, they have a break room. If you don't know, Walmart has a break room. It's not the little smoking section you see out front, but there's actually a break room in the back. And um, I worked in the assembly department back in the back, and I found um, this rubber snake, okay? And I thought, well, this is going to be funny. You know, I'm going to take a rubber snake, and I'm going to scare somebody with it, all right? Because uh, I would think it'd be funny if somebody tried to scare me with rubber snake, which isn't always the best way to think of pranking, okay? So I walk back to the break room, I take the snake, and I throw it into the break room, okay? And I say, snake. Now, if you saw this snake, you would realize it's the most fake snake that could be. Like, it did not look real, it didn't even, like, wiggle, it just came in there and flopped on the ground, and it, like, literally laid on its back. Okay, so I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Some of the people in there did not think it was that great. In fact, some people have phobias of fake snakes, which I don't know how that works, <laughs> but didn't go very well. This lady in particular, she freaked out, never forgave me kind of thing, okay? Um, that was that scenario. Um, uh, so this is just a few years ago. This isn't a pranking story. Um, I'm going to tell you a true story. So a few years ago, I went to the same mechanic all the time. I always like to go to the same mechanic. Usually they get to know your vehicle. You get to know them. It makes it easy. So I'm going to the same mechanic. He's kind of an odd fellow. Gives me a decent discount, but I don't really care. Um, I was like, it's a good discount. It's kind of odd. I can make this work. So uh, what I always noticed, though, is he always had rabbits outside of his mechanic shop. Okay? He always had these rabbits. And I thought it was kind of weird. And he always complained about feeding these rabbits. And I thought, it's kind of weird um, that he complains about it. And he's like, well, I, he goes, I keep him around because I got to feed the snake, you know? And I was like, I, I mean, it probably went on for two years of him saying that, right? And I just thought, this is just a joke. He's trying to freak me out about some kind of snake he's got. 
And so I think the fourth time I went, I said, hey, man, I said, you keep talking about the snake. What are you talking about, right? And I mean, the guy had like 50 rabbits, okay? So it was a little weird. So he goes, oh, he goes, you want to see the snake? And I was like, I, I guess so. You keep talking about it. Go ahead and show me. So he takes me into the shop. It's kind of creepy. There's cobwebs everywhere. And I don't know what's going to happen. And he opens up this closet door. And there's a branch going from the top of the ceiling to the floor. But right when he opens it, this light was just protruding out. And I couldn't see anything. I'm just All I could see was this branch. And I was like, what in the world is this? And I kind of even peek in closer. And I still can't see anything but this branch. Well, then my eyes kind of adjusted, okay? And I could see the largest, like, snake I'd ever seen in my life, okay? The body was like this thick, and it was wrapped all the way down this thing, and then its head was just literally like one foot away from my face, okay? I'm thinking the guy should have warned me or given me some kind of coaching, but that was it. And so I remember just thinking, whoa, there's a huge snake right now. I was just like, and if you know, you just kind of back away, and you're like, that's a snake, all right? Um, but my reaction was completely different than the lady that thought it was a real snake. My reaction to a snake that probably could take care of a small dog or animal or child, I don't know, but um, probably should have been arrested for having that snake in his house, okay? This guy did. But my reaction was completely different, and why was it? It was because all I could see was the light, okay? All I could see, I was basically I couldn't see anything that was in front of me because of that light. And I want you to know, like, Times are strange right now. You know, life is strange. Um, in fact, a lot of the conversations I have with people, they're usually about fear of the future. Could we all agree? And so I, I believe that when we look at the light, we can stare adversity in the face and be unafraid. We can be unfazed by adversity when we're looking at the light. I want to uh, read to you the definition of that word unfazed. And unfazed means not, wor- uh, not worried or upset by something bad that happens. Unfazed means not worried or upset by something bad that happens. So I'm going to read to you, but before I do, I want to kind of set up this story. How many of you guys have read the book of Daniel? It's kind of an interesting book. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go read it. Um, we're going to go through one of the stories, but the book of Daniel takes place, in, especially this part, uh, specifically in the year of uh, 606 B.C., and it, it's, a, it's a strange time. Um, it, it's about the city of Babylon, which is a fascinating city. They had these things called hanging gardens. I don't know if you know anything about them, but they were gardens that still today, uh, it's one of the wonders of the world that we wonder, like, what, how did they make these gardens? How did, it, how did they do that? And they still are fascinated and still trying to understand how they did that in the city of Babylon. And so, while, but while this was going on, there was a, a crazy, insane king that was the king, and he was the basically the most powerful king of the world, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar, all right? And so Nebuchadnezzar, they were basically collecting these Jews and bringing them into captivity, and they would spend three years training all of these Jews, and in some regards, they were trying to brainwash them to think like they did, um, but they would spend three years working under the Chaldeans, uh, which were kind of like priest-like people, and they would try to train them, and that's why you, you read in Daniel 2 where it talks about the food and how they were trying to get them to eat the meat, and Daniel made this negotiation with the bodyguard, the head bodyguard, and said, hey, if we eat what we want to eat, will you still let us, remember that whole story about in Daniel 2? So anyway, so that takes place in Daniel 2, all right? Um, and, and then there's also this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and he, he invites anybody to tell him about his dream. And basically, he says, if you can't tell me about the dream, I'm going to kill you. This is what type of king he was. And so um, 
word gets out that, the, that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and so they, they find out that Daniel has this gift of interpretation of dreams. So they bring Daniel in, um, and, they, and the, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know who Daniel is. He's just basically a slave, a, a, a Jewish slave, and he comes in, and Daniel tells him his dream because that's what he wanted to know. He wanted to know, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. You just need to tell me what it was and the interpretation of it. And basically, it gives this figure of this gold uh, image, like where the, the statue had basically like a golden image on the head, and then below was um, some type of metal, and then or iron, I believe, and then it was like goes down to clay and all different things. And it, it referenced the kingdoms that were coming behind this kingdom that he was in charge of. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar is fascinated with Daniel and fascinated with the God, and he basically gives him whatever he wants, and he moves him into a, a form of government. And Daniel says, along with myself, I want to bring three of my friends. Um, and so uh, the king promotes all of them and puts them into uh, his government. And so we kind of pick up here in Daniel 3. It says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, and six cubits wide. Okay, so he, he basically, out of the dream, uh, he's going through a midlife crisis, and he decides to make this huge statue uh, that's 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. So don't picture the Statue of Liberty. Picture like the Washington Monument, okay, just made of, of gold. At least it has the image of gold on the outside. And so he decided, I don't know if that was like, a, like his way of saying, well, I, it's going to be gold forever, and it's going to be my kingdom forever. I'm not sure what, what the thought process was there. But it says he then summoned, uh, so wait a minute, uh, 60 cubits wide, and set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 2, it says he then summoned the satraps, I'm just trying to say these words right, satraps, uh, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other officials. So these people, this is in order of ranking, if that makes any sense. And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can't take saying their full name, so I'm going to shorten it to Chad, Shaq, and Abe, all right? So those three guys were governors in uh, this order. They were, uh, they were governors. And it says... Um, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So all of those people, I'm not going to go through the order again because they name it like three different times, but all the officials assembled for the dedication of the, king, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before it, verse 4 it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Verse 5, it says, as, you, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, I don't know how to pronounce that, uh, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold, uh, of, um, of the image of gold that, that, that's of the king, right? So basically, uh, like I said, not only is this, he's making an image of himself and that the kingdoms were now going to be all gold. Now he's saying that every time the music plays, everybody that, that is in the presence of this image has to bow, okay? Um, it says, whoever does, doesn't fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 7, it says, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, those instruments again, uh, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So again, clearly midlife crisis. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar basically here um, has some uh, loyalists, has some people that are working for him. It says astrologers. But basically these people are, I believe, upset that Daniel and these Jews were now 
and a top-ranking officials in his government. And so they go and tattle tale to the king and say, hey, these three people, I don't know why Daniel was excluded from this conversation. Maybe they didn't specifically like um, Chad, Shack, and Abe. But it says that they go and tattle on them and tell the king, hey, they're not going to bow. At this time, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and all those instruments uh, must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Chad, Shack, and Abe, who pay no attention to your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, it says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned those three dudes. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Chad, Shack, and Abe, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Verse 15, it says, now when you hear the sound of the horn and all the instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Chad, Shek, and Abe replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So basically they said, our God can save us, our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow to your image. And what I want you to know is this is unfazed talk. Okay, they're, they're talking to the most powerful king in the world, and they're saying, look, our God's going to save us. You can throw us and do whatever you want to us, but we're not going to bow to this image, right? Um, it, it, to me, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if anybody has children in here, but it reminds me of children sometimes. Anybody have children that, like, they kind of talk back a little bit, maybe young, middle, older? Uh, I, I had one of my kids the other day. I won't tell you which one, but one of my kids the other day, uh, we were trying to punish our child by uh, restricting her from something, okay? Like, hey, you're going to be punished for this many days. Uh, and I said, it's going to be four days that you're going to have to suffer with, without this thing. And she goes, why don't you make it five? Right? She takes after her mother, but uh, I, I was blown away, okay? And some of you, this, there can be a lesson in here uh, for parents. Some of you parents need to be unfazed, okay? Uh, when I was a kid, my parents told me about the story where I wasn't getting my way about something. I threw myself on the floor on concrete and started slamming my head into the concrete, right? And my dad looked at my mom and said, don't give him what he wants, right? And I say, sometimes parents, man, you got to just not be phased. I turned out, okay, other than the couple scars. Um, But there were three that were unfazed by the king's threats. And why? Because they knew their God. They knew God was faithful even if the outcome didn't look like they wanted it to. I read a couple scriptures over this last series. I'm going to read them to you. John 16, 33, it says, And everything, this is Jesus talking, And everything I taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this believing world, you will experience trouble, sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. John 14, 27, 
uh, we also read about the wonderful counselor. It says, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Uh, don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. And I was praying about this year, and I, I, I keep hearing this word tossed around. We talked about it on Christmas Eve, but I believe the, the word for this year is peace, okay? At least for myself. I don't know if it's for you guys as well, but I've prayed about that, and I believe it's peace. Um, and it says here, in both of these verses, it says courageous, right? Like, to, that we're to be courageous. And here's what I believe that courageousness is. Like, if you're going to be courageous, is you're only courageous if you don't know the outcome of something, Right? Like if we have, the, if we know that the outcome is sure, like if we know that, um, that the end result is going to be great, well then of course anybody be, can be courageous. But if we don't know where we'll end up or what is coming ahead, that is where courage actually takes place. And this, this scripture says that God works, you know the scripture says God works all things together for the good, right? It doesn't mean that everything is always going to feel good right? Sometimes when things don't feel good, it's still God, right? Like I, I used to believe, I remember as a young believer, I always believed like if something didn't feel good, well then that can't be God. Like if that doesn't go right, or I would hit the stoplights, you guys remember hitting all the stoplights and you're like, well, what did I do wrong this week? I don't know. Um, but really, um, it kind of, let's pick back up here in verse 19. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Verse 20 says, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie Chad, Shack, and Abe and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men were wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes and were bound and thrown into the, into the blazing furnace. And it says the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took those three men up. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. And here's a question I have for you right, right after that verse, okay? Do we think that those three men, even though that they were courageous, um, do we really think that they were excited about this scenario? Like, I mean, do you think they're like, man, I have been in the shelter for a while, and I need some heat to get my skin warm, right? I need to get tan. No, they were not. They were, I think that they were terrified. I think they were terrified because it says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. Verse 25, it says, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the God. Some of it says son of God. We still don't really know whether it was Jesus or angels, or, but there's all sorts of predictions. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shout, shouted, Chad, Shaq, and Abe, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And they came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to God 
of Chad, Shack, and Abe, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of, of any nation or language who say anything against the, the god of Chad, Shack, and Abe will be cut into pieces. This is a little harsh. And their houses be turned into the piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Chad, Shech, and Abe in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men and the, and the form of the fourth is as the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar called them and when he called them, they came out of the fire by themselves without their bonds, right? And the only thing they lost when they were unfazed by the king was their bonds, right? Like when before they went in, even though it didn't feel like God was with them, he was with them. And then when, 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 he, when they were in the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar and them could see that there was something else in there. Some, some people believe it was the Son of God. Some people believe it was God himself. Some people believe it was an angel. Either way, God was with them in the furnace. And when they came out, they didn't have uh, the, the bonds that they had anymore. They were loosed, if you want to use that word. They were gone. Um, it says that they saw these men upon whose bodies and fire had no power, nor was, this is a different translation, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Because of the fire couldn't touch them. God did not save them from the fire. He saved them in the fire. Right? I believe that believers can be so unwavering that even when bad things happen, they still believe God loves them. They still believe God loves them. I remember uh, I had this uh, friend out in Arizona that he just had come to the Lord and he started kind of getting his life together. And immediately he started dating the pastor's daughter for whatever reason. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, but he started dating, and she started saying that he had this anger issue. He was freaking out all the time and blowing up, and he was kind of just had a short fuse. And, it, and so she started to pull away and back off and was like, I'm not going to continue to date this guy. And I remember he was leaving church one, one day, and he pulled over next to me, and he was in his truck, and he had his window down. And I was trying to just, like, check on him and see. And he said, Matt, he said, I don't understand. He said, Scripture says that if we seek first the kingdom of God, everything's going to be given unto us. Why can't this girl date me, right? And first, I was thinking, well, first of all, it's because you're screaming, okay? You've got a temper, and she's got a good reason that she's backing off. But secondly, you're pulling that scripture completely out of context, right? Just because we're following God doesn't mean that he gives us everything that we want. I mean, if we did that to our children... That would be kind of strange. Like, baby's born, here's a new iPhone, go for it. You got it, you know? Um, and here's what I want to say is 2020 didn't really go how we wanted. Can everybody agree 2020 didn't go how we wanted? 2021 didn't really look that great, right? Um, and I have kind of a newsflash. I want to call it a prophecy. 2022 may have some curveballs that we're not expecting. We may not see what's ahead. We may not know what's ahead, but what we can be sure of is that he is with us and that he's going to take care of us no matter what. Um, what would believers look like if we had an even-if mentality? Even if gas prices don't go down. Right? I've seen them at $5. I've seen them at $5.55 out in California, right? What if they didn't go down? Even if we don't get healed in the way that we wanted, 
or in the time that we wanted. Even if our relationships aren't reconciled right then and there. We just went through Christmas. Anybody have some relationships that you're like, man, I could really work on that situation? I did. <laughs> I could really work on that relationship. Or maybe they're, not, maybe they're not meant to be reconciled. Maybe they're not meant to be. Right? I remember I had, I had a friend out in Arizona, a, a pastor friend, that I, I wanted to reconcile, and I thought it should have been like one month after we left. It took a couple years. Sometimes it takes time. Even if things don't go our way, even if things don't go our way, even if everything doesn't look how we predicted, God is still with us. When Chad, Shaq, and Abe said God will deliver us, they said, if not, oh well. I think that would be a great book for somebody to write is Oh Well. Uh, you guys know the story of Stephen. Everybody know the story of Stephen? Stephen was the best um, dishwasher busboy that uh, the new church uh, had, right? When the church was forming right after Jesus, they had to find somebody that took care of all the restaurants and the, and the dishes and all that. And so they thought Stephen would be great. Okay, and they hire Stephen. Well, St- somehow, making a long story short, they decided Stephen... Uh, was a believer, and they selected him to come put him before a court to see if he would deny Jesus. And he didn't deny Jesus, right? And they took him out, and they killed Stephen right outside of the courtroom. And I love what he said um, when he was being killed. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? Forgive them, for they know it. He had an even-if mentality, and what's fascinating about that moment is the coats, you guys know, but the coats uh, of the men that stoned Stephen were be th- being thrown into Saul's hands. So Saul is sitting here, who became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. He's holding their coats as these men are killing Stephen. And if you don't think that that had an impact on Paul, I promise you it did. He saw that Stephen had an even-if mentality. Faith is not something you must do or manufacture Faith is resting in the persuasion that God is greater than our storms, right? Faith is not something you must do or manufacture. Faith is resting in the persuasion that God is greater than our storms. Everybody knows the book of Philippians. Does everybody know that book? Uh, I call it the happy book. I don't know why. I don't know if I read that somewhere, but I call it the happy book, all right? I love reading Philippians because every time I read it, it makes me feel good about life. If you're going through something, read Philippians. It's going to make you feel good. But most of Philippians was written in jail, okay, while Paul was in jail. Um, and I want to read to you uh, just a little section of scripture as we close, but Philippians 4, 6 through 9, it says, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. That's pretty, like, we could just stop there, right? Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. You don't need to guard your heart. The peace of God will guard your heart. Um, And minds through Christ Jesus. And then I love verse 8. It says, finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate means to run it over in your mind, right? Run it over and over in your mind. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I remember last year, you know, I loved, I loved what we sang that song um, this morning, but I remember last year and the past couple years just going through a lot. 
I think everybody would agree, right? We all just kind of went through a lot. Um, but I remember, like, finally going and, like, when I could tell I had hit rock bottom, I'm like, man, I got to go talk to God. Isn't that kind of how it is? Like, you hit rock bottom, like, I should probably go talk to God, right? Um, and I remember talking to him, and I just kind of shut out everything. And I remember, I remember at the end of talking with him, I remember just saying, God, I'm so sorry. Like, I should have come to you a long time ago. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And then I begin to worry, and right? That's what happens, I believe, when we're, when we're not focused on him. The worry sets in. Um, and James says, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4.3 and the Passion Translation says, and all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. Prayer isn't just so God can hear us talk because scripture says he knows what needs we have even before we ask, but it's mostly so we can remember that he is going to take care of us. He's gonna take care of us. I love Dr. Paul Ellis. He wrote the other day on Facebook, he said, faith is refusing to panic and choosing to trust. He will safely bear us to the other side. Faith is refusing to panic and choosing to trust that he will safely bear us to the other side. Acts 12, 5 through 17. This is a story of Peter. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. All I want to say about that is Herod was about to kill Peter the next day. And Peter, it says right there, Peter was sleeping. He must have had like one of those special pillows like in prison or maybe like one of those special beds there. I'm sure that's what they ordered before. But it says that he was sleeping. He was sleeping, the same type of sleep where Jesus was sleeping in the boat, Peter had, the same type of peace that causes us to rest and to not worry about, I mean, if any night was to not sleep, that would have been the night. Like, you're gonna die the next day. And it says here that Peter was sleeping. Now, I wanna kick back to Daniel 3.22, where it says the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Chad, Shaq, and Abe. And this verse is interesting because I believe it's a, it's a parallel of the crucifixion, right? The scripture um, that says that if the enemy had known what was going to happen when the crucifixion had taken place, then all him and all his cohorts would have never killed Jesus. And in fact, Jesus had so much power when that happened that it says that he crushed the head of the enemy. Uh, and I say that to say that it doesn't matter what the enemy might have planned for your life. I do want you to know Jesus is with you, and he wants us to have an even-if mentality. Instead of being afraid or anxious about your future, right? And you guys remember the snake story that I told at the beginning. Um, when the light of God, when you're looking at the light of God, right, you can see that he is with you. And I want you to know when you're looking at how bright he is and how much he loves you and how, that's why we go over these things all the time. It's good to remind us of these things is because when we're looking at how powerful and how great and how wonderful he is, we can stare adversity in the face and not be afraid of what's coming. 
1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's another translation I want to read, and I'll pray. So be content with who you are, and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. I love that. He is most careful with you. Like, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're worried about, I want you to know God is most careful with you. He's going to take care of you. He's got a plan for your life. He's not going to abandon you. He's with you no matter what you're going through. Amen? Let me pray for everybody and we're going to close. Father, we thank you, God, for each one that's here, God. We thank you, God, for your peace. And I speak peace over us today. God, I speak peace over our minds. I thank you, God, that we can think on the thoughts that are true, honest, pure, just, lovely, and of a good report with virtue and praise, God, today. We can think on those things because we know that you're with us. We know that you encapsulate all of those things. And as we look to you, as we look to the light of who you are, God, we thank you, God, that you have given us the strength for tomorrow. You have given us the strength for this year, and you have good things in store for us. We love you and honor you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.